good morning. This is so awesome. Like, can you actually believe it? I've been away like 10 weeks. We've uh, East as a community, uh, as a location, has been going for 10 weeks now. This week is week 11, and this is the first week I haven't been there. So I'm missing it a little bit. It's, uh, it's such an awesome community. And I know some of you guys... Uh, find 10 o'clock convenient sometimes, maybe you sleep in, and some people have actually admitted that to me. I'm only here because I slept in and I missed the nine, and so I sneaked across to the uh, 10 o'clock at East, but it's awesome, cool little community, and we're already outgrowing uh, Ori's Rugby Club, which is like great, but bad at the same time, because I love meeting in a rugby club, it's so, so awesome, but I miss you guys, and, and the cool thing is that um, because we are one church across multiple locations, I get to come and do this sometime. And we're in the same teaching series, and so I've taught the first two out of three of Hebrews out of East, and so we're in message four this morning, and I get to come here. Uh, Nick and Sarah send their love, they're at a wedding, um, and uh, here we are. Should we pray? Let's pray. That would be a good thing to do. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray, and if nothing else, you've got something good out of this morning. Should we pray? Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. Spirit of God, we pray, bring it to life today. Bring it to life in us. Lord, we want to change. I thank you that no matter who we are this morning, whether this is our very first time in a church community and we have no idea who Jesus is or whether we've, whether we've been in church 90, 100 years, Lord, I thank you that none of us is like you yet, that every single one of us has a step to take today and you want to help us take that step. And Lord, we pray through your word today, would you direct those steps? Would you show us individually, would you show us as a community what step needs to be taken? We pray for East today. Lord, bless them. Bless us in this space, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, my oldest daughter, Gracie, was 12 yesterday. She turned 12. And um, Friday morning, she bundled into bed with Jenny and I, and we're having a little chat like, hey, Gracie, do you remember when it was just us, just the three of us, and those other two weren't around spoiling things. It was just us. And, and it reminded me, it took me back a little bit. We shared stories and took us back a little bit to um, when she was born. And Jenny was in labor with Gracie for 27 hours, 27 hours hours, honestly, I had one boost, which is a bit like chocolate bar in that 27 hours, like honestly. Anyway, and labor, labor is a, like, I've observed labor a number of times, and, and it's a painful experience, you know, all that back rubbing and having your hands squeezed, like, I honestly think like the gas and air is for the dads, you know, that stuff's awesome. Anyway, no, no, but seriously, labor's painful. Right, and and um, and I w- I've watched Jenny uh, pregnant over a number of months, and and it comes to a moment where she realizes this baby is growing, and and this realization grows in her: this baby has to come out. And the more it grows, the the the, the more disproportionate, you know, the exit is to the size of the baby. We're entering dangerous territory this morning. Like Jenny's not here, Nick and Sarah away. It's okay, and nobody will find out. And. Uh, and this realization grows that this baby's got to come out. And Jenny actually contemplated, can I raise this child inside me? Like, is that possible? Do they actually have to come out? And then, towards the end, it's like this Wonder Woman hormone is produced. Like, it goes from, I'm a little bit nervous, I'm really nervous, to, you're coming out now. Like, go, you know? And it, I don't know what it is. Like, the situation doesn't change. The, the, nothing changes physically. And yet there's something different in the attitude where she goes, 
she's coming out. It's like the mum becomes Wonder Woman. And I like hats off to you ladies. I'm so glad that I'm a guy. I'll be honest when it comes to that. But the, the attitude changes and that it comes. And I, wanna, I, I believe that there's a change in attitude God wants in us today. I believe that God wants to produce in us a different spirit. We're in Hebrews, and uh, we've, we can become so familiar as a church with the life and times of Jesus on earth, but that's not where he is right now. He rules and reigns in utter supremacy. He is sovereign over absolutely everything at the right hand of the Father. That's what Hebrews teaches us about where Jesus is now. That has to influence how we see life. It has to infuse this spirit of confidence and courage like this Wonder Woman sort of hormone in the church. It has to, there has to be a spirit of courage that comes out of us because of who he is and where he is right now. But the question very quickly comes, then why does it still hurt? If he is who he says he is, if he is on the throne, why is life painful at times? Why am I suffering? And I think as we go through this text today, I believe that God wants to fortify us as a church. God wants to strengthen us as a church through the word and and through the empowering of the spirit that there might be this fortitude that comes in us, that we would function and be fruitful in all we go through. Should we read from Hebrews 2? They're like, yes, please. Some of you are like, first time in church. And you're like, what is going on? We're going to read the Bible. We believe it's God's word to us. We want to understand what it means and, 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 and understand how it applies to us. We're going to put the words on the screen and read just four verses from chapter 2 of Hebrews, from verse 5, let's read. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But someone somewhere has testified. Do you like that? Like someone somewhere, he knows exactly who it is who has testified. It's from the Old Testament, it's Psalm 8, King David wrote it. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. We learn then right from the outset, verse 5, that the world to come has been subjected to someone. And it's not to angels. And if you know the right answer to anything in church, any question, you will know that the right answer is... Jesus, thank you. Come on. Two people got it right. Come on. That's the answer to every question. The answer is... Jesus, thank you. The world to come is subjected to Jesus. And what our writer does, he says, well, to explain this, I want to take you to a psalm. It's Psalm chapter 8. We're going to look at it now. Let's read from verse 3. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? Or a son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sea and the fish of the the birds of the sky, rather. (laughs) 
and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. This is the text that our Hebrews writer has in mind in order to show that the world to come has been subjected to Jesus. And King David, it's like he goes out at night and he looks up at the sky and he, and he maybe tries to count the stars. Or, you know, those moments where you're in a really dark place and you're able to stare at the sky. And the longer you stare, it's like the more stars you see. It's like almost a cloud. So tightly packed in are they from our perspective. And it's like as he gazes into the universe, he wonders, man, how small I feel. How insignificant am I as a person? I can hardly believe God even remembers my name. And yet as David observes his life, he realizes, actually, God does care about me. Actually, I am valuable Actually, humanity is the most significant part of this vast universe that God created. It means I have value. It means I have worth. And I think this is a much needed message for us today. Because in our secular country, the sort of prevailing worldview of our nation is that it's secular. That you're just a miracle of matter. You're not really anything special, really. You're just over-evolved and you're lucky. And therefore, you're not significant. You're not worth anything. You're just molecules sucking air and one day that's going to end like that. No wonder we have a problem with depression. No wonder we have the highest rate of teen suicide in the developed world. Because this is the message people are being taught. And I want to tell you on the authority of scripture today, it's a lie. It is a cold, hard lie. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are significant to God. You are valuable. You are deeply loved. And if we are going to engage meaningfully with the topic of suffering and pain and brokenness, we better know who inherently we are. And that is made in the image of God and worthy and valuable. And not only that, but useful. When you go to Psalm 8 and you come towards the end, it begins to talk about ruling over animals, birds in the sea. I know I got that wrong. But all of those, it talks about humanity ruling over creation. And it's words that... That, that, that King David was sort of, it's like a Russian doll we're unpacking. We've got Hebrews, we've got uh, Psalm chapter 8, and now we go inside of that because where, where Psalm 8 takes us is back into the very commissioning of Adam and Eve when God created Adam. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, it says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. It means as God's idol, as the one to represent God on the earth. God blessed them and and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. You're not only valuable and significant before God and on this earth, but we have significant purpose. A God-given commission to represent God, to rule as God intended us to rule. But this also reveals that something's missing. Like the hint in in Psalm 8, and it becomes abundantly clear here, is that humans should have some role in ruling over wild animals. Now, I love lions, but they're in an enclosure for a reason. Like I love observing them, but behind big, thick steel bars. Anybody else like that? 
Anybody else feel the need this morning to go and have an up-close personal encounter with a lion? Not me. And it's because that something went wrong. Something happened with this commission that was given to humanity. Nothing changed with God. Nothing went wrong with God. But Adam decided, rather than represent God, I'm going to represent myself. I don't want to serve God. I want to be God. I want to determine my own way. I want to do my own thing. And every single one of us has followed that pattern ever since. The Bible calls it sin. And so instead of ruling and saying, we want to be God, do you know what we became? Slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to error, slaves to rebellion against God, and ultimately slaves to death. And so this psalm, Psalm 8, isn't just an idea of ruling and reigning and, and subduing as we were supposed to, but it then becomes prophetic because if we're not doing that, if Psalm 8 is going to be true, then the world has to be subdued by someone else at some point. It points to someone, and who does it point to? It points to Jesus. And so... What happens then in Hebrews chapter 2 is having stated and set up Psalm chapter 8, he then interprets it. He then interprets it in line with the one who is to come, the one who would fulfill Psalm 8 and be God's proper representative on earth. As Genesis 1 says he should, the answer, the person we're looking for is Jesus. And so we have to go back in our Bibles now to, I'm like old school, I love the paper. We're back in the back end or the middle of verse 8. It says this, for in subjecting everything to him that is Jesus he left nothing that is not subject to him now I've unpacked the Greek here that uh, where where it says he's left nothing that is not subject to him do you know what it means nothing it also means no one it means there is nothing no one ever who is not subjected and ultimately surrendered to the rule and reign of Jesus It means we can sing songs like, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. But as then we follow it through, for in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. You know, here's the reality check. Never mind the animals at the zoo. There are far more pressing issues that show us that everything is not really, it doesn't look like it's subjected to Jesus. There are nat- natural disasters. You and I wouldn't be meeting in this room if we didn't know it had been earthquake strengthened. At East, we actually have a tsunami plan. <laughs> like we worship Jesus and say everything's subjected to him, but we need an earthquake plan. <laughs> we need a tsunami plan. We worship Jesus as, as sovereign, as ruling and reigning, as victorious. And yet we also have a ministry called Christians Against Poverty because we understand that poverty remains rife in our country. We, we, we worship Jesus Christ as Lord, but we partner with organizations like Child Rescue because we know that trafficking still goes on and kids are still suffering because of it. Do you see the difference? We worship Jesus. We know that everything is subject to him, but we also live in the reality that not everything is yet subject to him. What about on a personal level? You know, what is it for you this morning that you would say, yeah, that's real? This area of my life is not yet subject to Jesus, I know that. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's an offense. Maybe it's unemployment for you right now. Maybe it's because you've, you've represented Jesus really well, you think, in, in the workplace, and yet now you're marginalized. 
You know, maybe family is a really different space for you now because you've stood up for Jesus. You're not really welcome anymore. That relationship just isn't the same anymore. Maybe you're grieving today. As I think of my friends, there is terminal illness. There's, There's loved ones that have died. That's just in my friendship group. I wonder about your life. I wonder about your friendship group. And we have to see that it's because of this little word, yet. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. Jesus Christ is victorious. But we understand that our day-to-day lives do not yet fully experience that. And yet there is a day coming when it will be fully realized and fully experienced and fully seen. But it means that while we wait for that day, we live in a world of brokenness and we live in a world of pain. And even as Jesus' followers, we still find ourselves under that and amongst that and experiencing that. So what do we do about that? Let's look at this. Verse 9, it says, But we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. You know, we don't yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying you're not going to find courage in your suffering. You're not going to find any encouragement in your pain by looking at the world around you. The answer is not going to be there. What does it say though? But we do see Jesus. Made lower than the angels for a short time. In other words, he looked, though eternally superior to angels, he looked temporarily like he was lower than the angels. Why? Because he walked to earth as a human. And and he suffered, it says. He suffered, why? Because he died in the place of humanity. He lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. He represented God in the way that God was supposed to be represented by people on earth. He died the death that you and I deserved so that the full effects of the sin that we had done might be completely and utterly undone. And because of that, he wears this crown eternally that shows off his magnificent character and his infinite worth and value. And so I want to unpack, just in closing, what does it actually mean for us to, to see Jesus? What does it mean for us to understand that he, everything is subject to him, but at the same time we don't yet see everything subject to him? And therefore, how do we walk this life? What does it mean in this life to say that, but we do see Jesus? Well, what this, the writer of the Hebrews says is that, but we see Jesus means we see that he suffered. He experienced many of the life challenges that you and I face. Tiredness, loneliness, hunger, poverty, betrayal, false accusations, and the greatest miscarriage of justice ever. Jesus knew what it was to lose loved ones and family. Jesus knew what it was to stand outside the grave of his friend and weep. Jesus knows what it's like. He identifies with our suffering because he himself suffered. But here's the thing. And if you're suffering today, if you're in pain, if you're sick, if something's going on and this is acute for you right now, you'll know what I mean. When we're in pain, we feel so quickly like we're alone. 
Like, like something must be wrong. Like God must have forgotten about us. Like you look up at the stars and you're saying what David said. What, is, what am I that you should even care for me? Do you even remember my name, God? Do you know what's going on? But we see Jesus, which means that we see that he suffered, not just in experiencing the sort of challenges that we face, but because he died. And what does that show us? It showed that he was willing to pay the highest price so that you and I might be rescued. It means that in our suffering, far from being alone, far from feeling like we're unloved and rejected, it means when we see Jesus, we realize that he paid the highest price for our rescue, which means you're incredibly valuable. You're inherently worth yeah, something yeah. to God, that he would send his one and only son to rescue you. Okay. Your pain and your suffering and your experience in life does not rob you of your value and dignity. Yeah. But when we look at Jesus and we see that he died for us, we remember that we are loved, yeah. deeply loved. Do you know it this morning? Not just here. Not just as information, not just as knowledge, not just as an answer on a test. But do you know it in the depths of your soul this morning? Do you know it right down? Is it affecting your emotion? Is it affecting your perspective? Is it affecting your analysis of what's going on in your life? You are worth something. You are valuable. You are deeply precious and loved before God. What does it also mean to see Jesus? I think it means, bizarrely, that we actually do see Jesus. That he isn't just some idea that somebody came up with. He's not the product of somebody's imagination. He's the eternal God who at a point in time became flesh and actually walked among us. John's testimony, we went through it uh, as a church over a year. John's testimony was that I stood face to face with God when I stood face to face with Jesus. It means we do actually see him. And though you and I don't see that today, we see it through the testimony of the eyewitnesses who actually recorded these things. Now, now you might be somebody who's a bit skeptical of that and you say, well, well, how can I trust this? Do you know what? There are thousands and thousands of copies, manuscripts of this information, testimony of many, many, many eyewitnesses who said we saw him. We, we heard him. We saw the miracles. We saw him raised to life again. Nobody else does that. If you don't believe me, believe on the testimony of many, many, many witnesses. And, and the fact that there are thousands of copies isn't just like the proliferation of, uh, of data in our day that's just easy to copy. We're talking people who meticulously, expensively went line by line and copied this story out. It's like the first century version of something going viral. But it did so at incredible cost in incredible time which shows that the people who wrote these things realized they had seen something significant. They had seen something incredible. They wrote it because it was worth their time. People needed to hear this story. And ultimately, what was their message? Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is resurrected. It means we have historical evidence, a historical basis for our hope. And if Jesus is raised to life again, having defeated our greatest enemy, our ultimate foe in death, what other enemy, what other thing going on in our life will not one day also come under that? We don't believe as to some sort of vain hope. We believe because Jesus has been raised to life again. It means that there is a day coming when every ounce, the slightest glimmer of discomfort and every other element of pain and suffering will one day be a dim and distant memory. And I believe we have to counsel people, we have to counsel one another, we have to preach, we have to share stories, we have to encourage one another with hope for eternity. Too often we just try and encourage people around this life. But you know what? You can sit with somebody who is dying and you can say, do you know what? I can't change this situation. But because of Jesus, you have hope for eternity. Why? Because he was raised to life again. And there is historical evidence to say that that actually happened. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said this, if we have hope just for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone. But Christ has indeed been raised to life and therefore our hope is eternal. And so whatever you are going through, and even if you're not going through it right now, but one day you will do, know this. Even if that then marks out the rest of your life, it is just a dot compared with the glorious eternal hope of every single one of us who believes in Jesus. But there's a really missional perspective to this as well. But we see Jesus. It means we see now what he's up to. And I just want to take you in closing to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I might sneeze. And so I'm going to try and turn away from a microphone that is stuck to my face. Which means it really difficult. I think I'm alright though. Let's read from verse 8. Chapter, two, uh, chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Dear friends. Don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed dear friends Jesus is coming and as that verse 10 says it's going to take everyone by surprise it might be today it might be tomorrow it might be in a millennia (laughs) but he's coming and you know what when we're when we're experiencing pain we might think God I want you to come today But I want you to see when we see Jesus, we see that there is incredible purpose in the reason that he is delaying that return. Why? Because when Jesus rose again, the way was made open before God. Access was made so that you and I could believe in Jesus and have access to God in eternal life. But when Jesus returns, that opportunity will close very quickly. All of a sudden, this incredible invitation for the world to know Jesus will come to a close. And when I look at that, I think, well, I'm all right with that. But what about my neighbor? Oh, Jesus, please don't come yet. 
because I can't have the opportunity close for him. Oh Lord, please let him believe before you come again. And as I say that every single one of you will have friends, family members, colleagues, neighbors that you would say, you could say it's true for them too. And I want, this is where I believe that God wants to fortify something in us today. To, that that, that he, we would see pain not as just this insufferable thing, but actually it would cause us to turn and say, well, I want a new perspective on this today that's going to enable me to go through it in a different way. And it's this. When, 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 when we used to go on camping trips as young people in our church back in the UK, we would play this competition around the barbecue. Who can hold your hand above the heat longest? It won't surprise you that no girls played this game. Our girls are far too sensible to do that. But as guys, you know, we're passing the time. Let's hold our hand over the fire. Colin was a chef. He always won. Like he was just used to it. But when it's just competition, this might surprise you, but when it's just a competition, when it gets too hot, you're just like, ah, enough. I don't need to suffer anymore. Colin, we always knew you were going to win anyway. But what if there was something more at stake? Like, imagine with me that there is a burning building, a burning school, let's say, full of kids. And there's a way that that they need to get out of that place and the door needs to be opened. And you're holding that door. And and the longer you wait as more kids come out, the more it hurts because the hotter it gets. And your hand is literally screaming at you saying, give up now. But you know the moment you let go. Your pain is over, but no one else is getting out. With that in mind, how much longer could you hold on? How much more would you be prepared to ignore what's what's going on for you for the sake of those who would escape? Now, we don't determine when the door shuts. Make no mistake, like analogies break down at some point. But I want you to see how much more can you endure and go through for the sake of those who must not spend eternity separate from God. How much longer? Every person is a child of God. Every person was made in His image. And He is more willing to let us as believers endure suffering in the brokenness of this world for the sake of those who have not yet believed. Dear friends, can we have a different perspective today? Can we know that you are inherently valuable to God? He sent His one and only Son to rescue you. Your pain does not diminish your value. Can you know that he identifies with us in it? Can we know, dear friends, that we have historical basis for hope? Don't let suffering ever rob you and make you think that there isn't a day coming when he'll return. And dear friends, can we have a different perspective on our pain? That maybe when it's painful that it might turn us to prayer, not just for ourselves, but actually for those who need to believe. May that discomfort lead us to say, oh God, for them. Oh God, for them, I can hold on a bit longer. Would you save them quickly? Would you move in their lives that they may believe? Should we respond? Would you bow your heads with me? Would you just close your eyes? We're going we're gonna to worship in a moment. But I want us to pray. And, and I want to make sure that that we haven't just added to knowledge this morning, we haven't just done a nice, neat Bible study, but that this is going to make a difference tomorrow. 
I believe God wants to set some people free today. I believe God wants to do something. What is it for you today? What's the response? Maybe it's you needed reminding today that you're valuable. I'm amazed at the number of people we have to pray with who are self-harming, who have suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And part of it comes back to the fact that people don't actually think they're valuable. Yes, we have messed up. Yes, we got it wrong. But you were made in the image of God and he sent his one and only son to rescue you. Do you know how valuable you are today? Do you know how loved you are today? Maybe today is that you need that different perspective. You're saying, God, it hurts. But bring about fortitude in me. Bring about a determination in me. Bring about a, a different perspective. That pain would lead me to prayer. That pain would lead me to, to reach out more earnestly. But maybe today for you, you've heard today that there's an opportunity open. And, and, and you've heard about Jesus, but you've said, maybe I'll leave that to tomorrow. Can I say you have no control over tomorrow? To, the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, you have an opportunity to believe in Jesus and to spend, and, and be given the gift of eternal life. There is no other way that comes about. Don't leave it to tomorrow. If you know you need to believe, if you know you do believe, then tell him about it today. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You want to say, I'm, I'm tired of living my own way. I'm tired of doing that. I want to turn. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to receive his death on my behalf. I want the gift of eternal life. I want the historical basis of hope that you said about if that's you today, would you join me in prayer right now? Just borrow words from me. Oh God, I want to thank you for your great love. I acknowledge that I have lived my own way in ignorance of you. And that comes to an end today. I believe that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for me. I believe that, that because I believe you wash me clean, you forgive me from all of that error, all of that wrong. And as I turn to you, I say, Lord, would you lead me from this day forward that I would, know, I would know how valuable I am, that I would know how loved I am, that I would know the great purpose that you have for me, and that I would live with hope of eternity. I give my life to you in Jesus' name today. Amen. Hey, just with every eye closed, every head bowed,